Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, glad that you're here with us. Uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Justin Lesline. I'm on the ministerial staff here at First Presbyterian Church. And uh, I realize that I, w- I work with young adults, and I realize that I must not necessarily dress like the rest of our pastors all the time trying to, to be in touch with this young crowd because I've had, I didn't, Jerome, who sees me walking to work every day, is like, I didn't even recognize you. <laughs> and uh, so I'm wearing a suit. If you see me on Sunday, I'll be wearing a suit. Otherwise, uh, I wear a suit around those young adults. They think I'm weird. So uh, anyhow, I'm glad to be here with you guys today. I'm glad you're here with us. Uh, I just would like to say, if you guys don't have a place that you worship regularly on Sunday mornings, we would love to have you here with us. Uh, uh, we meet at 9 and 11.15. So uh, that being said, we are continuing a series we started last week, a series on faith, where John started us off, but we're not just studying a series on faith talking about like the biblical term, like what does it mean, or the idea of faith, or the definition. We're talking about faith as part of our everyday life. What does it mean today? What does it mean this afternoon? What does it mean 20 minutes from now? And last week, John taught that faith above all else is faith in Jesus Christ. A mark of faith is that it is in the person and work of Jesus Christ, not in anything else. So today what we're going to do is hopefully go and take and see what what that looks like, reveal another layer of faith. And if you were just to start looking through the Bible and say, well, if we're going to do that, what's, who would we look, if you were to look for one person in the Bible to, to study faith on, uh, most likely you're going to pick Abraham. Abraham is the father of faith in scripture. And so today we're going to look at Abraham because from the very first moment this man encounters God, his entire life is just a journey of faith. He practices this daily faith that I was just talking about. And uh, this afternoon, we're really going to look at just two trademarks of Abraham's faith and his faith that he had in God. So if you have your Bible, uh, we're going to actually look at two passages. We're going to look at one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. So the passages are Genesis 12, 1 through 4, and then Romans chapter 4, 13 through 25. If you can't remember both of them, we'll just start in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 4, and then I'll repeat myself as we go to the next one. But as we do this, maybe in the back of your mind, paying attention to the words, track along with, you can kind of see just from these excerpts, the journey of faith that Abraham endured. But starting in chapter 12 of Genesis, starting in verse 1, this is where Abraham, his name isn't even Abraham at the time, it's still Abram. But God initiates to him, and this is where his journey of faith begins. So starting in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, 
and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Let's pray real quick. Jesus, you are good to us in all ways and all things. We pray that right now you would open your word to us, that it would illumine our hearts, that we might see and behold you. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen. So that is the beginning. That's where this journey starts. So if you have your Bible, take most of the Bible and flip it over to Romans chapter 4. And this is where we will camp out for most of this afternoon. Well, not this afternoon, for the next 20 minutes or so. If you plan on being here all afternoon, I'm sorry to disappoint you. Um, So let's also real quickly read this together. We'll start in verse 13. A lot of this is for context, but uh, start with me in verse 13. We'll read through 25. For the promise of Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through righteousness of faith. For For if its adherents of the law were to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God in whom he believed, he gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distress made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith, and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. What I love about the story of Abraham is that his story teaches us that faith is not something that we do at the time of salvation, that we somehow muster this up for this one-time event. And it also teaches us that faith is just not an idea to claim or a theological term or process that we adopt and we recognize is true. And it's not something that we have that we put on the shelf. And then when the hard parts of life or the big stuff comes up, we pull it out again to use it. That's not the, that's not the case. Abraham very clearly, even in some of these verses we just looked at, shows us that faith should be part of our daily, hourly, minutely living. And It should be active. It should be growing. It should not be collecting dust on the shelf. Abraham walked by faith with God, situation to situation. I couldn't imagine Abraham's life. If you're not familiar, Abraham was pretty much a nomad. He was going from place to place, not knowing exactly where God would have him. 
And he had this promise from God, but he had no son. And year after year after year passed. And sometimes long periods of time when God would talk to him. That would be really hard. So living by faith was, I don't know where I'm going today. I don't know where my meal is coming from. I have a hard time not knowing what is for dinner. This man doesn't know where he's going or where his provision is coming from all the time. Faith affects every single day for Abraham, and it should for us too. And as we look into these two passages, there really are two trademarks of Abraham's faith that we'll look at. And I want you, I want you to listen to me now, because I think God wants to teach us something from Abraham's story. God uses Abraham over and over and over in Scripture as a model of faith. And I think that we have that opportunity here today. And we can claim these things. Because if you look at verse 16, it says, But this also for the ones who share in the faith of Abraham. We share in the faith of Abraham. That is us. So the question for us then is, so what does it look like? What does it look like? And if you look at the story of Abraham, we see that faith lived out means two things at least. First, having faith in God's word. And second, having faith in God's will. So faith lived out means having faith in the word of God. Okay, so in the promises of God. The second thing is that it is having faith in God's will or his plans and the way they play out, not our plans necessarily. So let's look at the first one together. Having faith means having faith in God's word. Now, if you recall from the first passage we looked at, Genesis chapter 12, Abraham had received instruction and he had received a great promise or multiple promises from God. And it's important to notice that Abraham didn't get a promise from his neighbor. Lot didn't give him a $20 IOU for the tw- I borrowed to get this goat. That is not what's happening here. He has a promise from the very mouth of God. The God who created everything. The one who's in control of everything. And that, because of that, that is why Abraham hangs his hope and his trust here on the words of God. Look at me uh, as we, I'll reread verses 18 and 19 here in Romans. It says, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred or he didn't weaken, or when he considered the bareness of Sarah's womb. If you read that, that first part, in hope, Abraham believed against hope. If you're like me, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, like, what does that mean, to hope against hope? Let's recap for a second. Abraham was told that he was going to have a son, that this great promise would be accomplished through, that he'd be the father of many nations. And as the promise gets repeated, we see that God will be his God and they will be his people. And everything is depending on this son. And Abraham says that he's hoping against hope. What does that mean? Well, what would you be hoping in if you're 100 years old in your lifelong barren wife who is probably about 90 is supposed to be the one who is going to have a son. That never happens, ever. And I think we lose, because we might be familiar with this story, that fact gets lost on us. This situation is hopeless. 
And so when it says, he hope, he, in hope, he believed against hope, it's because he is hoping and believing against, in something that should not take place. This is literally a hopeless situation, yet he endures by faith. The whole promise of God that he had made to him in his entire family future depended on God keeping his word. So if you're him, what do you do in that situation? You're a hundred. Your wife is 90. And she's been barren her entire life. And Abraham believes the promise. Because it's the word of God. It's the promise of God. If you look at 18, it tells us this. He says, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He is doing this. He's hoping against hope because he has a word from God that he's basically put everything on. He wasn't interested in the realities that were around him. He was trusting in the promise of God. So what if the world told him this isn't happening? Abraham was trusting that the one who promised is faithful and will fulfill the promises that he made. Uh, This was the persuasion of Abraham. I don't think that I could have said that was me. Abraham was all in on God. No safety nets, no backup plans. His faith was just on this word. In reality, guys, think about this. To Abraham, the word of God was more real than the realities of his flesh. Uh, the realities of his flesh were telling him one thing, that because God had said something, that changed everything. Faith of Abraham is in the character and faithfulness of the one who made the promise. So if I had to simplify it, I'd say this. Abraham knew God was faithful to his promises. So therefore, Abraham hung his entire life on the words of God. If you really believe God is who he says he is, what other option do you have if you're Abraham? What other option do you have sitting right here today? What other option do I have standing right here today? So if he hangs everything on his, of his life on God's word, so should we. There are many things in this world begging you to trust in them. Your bank account screams at you, put your faith in me and I'll take care of you. Your job screams at you, put your faith in me and I'll make you great. Your family screams at you, put faith in me and I'll give you security. Science screams at you, put faith in me and I'll make you wise. The government screams at you, put faith in me and I'll solve your problems. These are all lies that we all buy into at some level in our weak moments. God alone can satisfy. God alone can deliver on every promise he ever made. Let me ask you a serious question. When was the last time that sin or an idol delivered on its promise? It always promises it's better than what God offers. And then you realize, I can't believe I I, I got fooled by the same trick of Genesis chapter 3 again. Sin never delivers on its promises. And I think at a root level, Abraham knew God delivers on his promises These other realities, even if they seem right, will never deliver like God does. So as a believer, 
I think the thing is we got to know these promises. We got to know this word. And then we got to cling to it. Abraham was clinging. And then you, you put your hope in it and you live under the promises. Over centuries, the mark of Christianity is that Christians are a people of, the, of faith because they're people of the book. Phil Robertson, uh, you guys know Phil Robertson from Duck Dynasty. Maybe you do. Huge beard. He was speaking to about 40,000 people in California the other day, and he, he told them, I'm a man of the Bible. I'm a Bible man. What is he saying? He goes, my life is hung on this book. I trust everything. Faith is in, in found right here. And what this says guides me. Phil Robertson's a Bible man. Christians are Bible people. This affects everything we put our hands to. This isn't an idea to hold on to. This is why we don't steal, cheat, and lie to get ahead. When faced with tough decisions, we go to the word of God for our voice of authority. We, when we use or give money, we do it by faith as good stewards because we believe what the Bible tells us about money is true. And we put hope in what the Bible says because we believe that the realization of these promises to us in Christ is going to be glorious. And indeed they will be. So that's, that's the first thing. The first point is that faith is rooted in God's word or God's promises because he is faithful to keep his promises. Now the second thing is faith is a faith in God's plan or faith is trusting in God's will. Um, in the early 2000s, a baseball book came out called Moneyball. Uh, it was a bestseller. Some of you are like shaking your head. Uh, Moneyball was a bestseller, and it's a book by a guy named Billy Bean, who was the general manager of the Oakland Athletics in the late 90s, early 2000s. And Moneyball is simply just a title that was assigned to the way that the Oakland Athletics adopted to, as their way of doing baseball business. This is how they were going to operate as an organization. And Oakland Athletics were a team that didn't have very much money. They call those small market teams. And they wanted to compete, though, but they couldn't compete like the New York Yankees could, who could just spend a lot of money. So they had to come up with a way to win. So Billy Bean in this, I think it was a young Yale graduate, uh, get together and they develop this plan or this theory on how to build a baseball team on the cheap and win. And the only problem is that this plan or this theory that they had developed had never been tried before. And who knows if it will work, right? It could fail miserably. And what happens when you fail miserably in one of those situations? You get fired. Then all of a sudden, you don't have ways to pay bills or send your kids to school, stuff like that. So... Not to mention that they're in a 140-year-old sport that's changed very little and has always been done the same. So simplified, I'll put what their plan was like this. These guys decided to use statistics and methods using statistics, not traditional scouting and ways of looking at baseball, but compiling stats to tell them how to win. This is what they call cyber metrics. It's crazy computer stuff. That's all I know. And they're looking at everything. And they ignore traditional statistics, like the ones that if I turn on ESPN and I look at, like home runs, RBIs, batting average. It's like 
You say, my plan is to build a team based around nothing that has to do with batting average or home runs. The guy's like, you are crazy. And many people said that they were. Uh, And a lot of times they would often ignore baseball logic. Like, hey, put a terrible defender out there because his at-bats last eight pitches versus that good defender whose at-bats last four pitches. Why in the world does that matter? Well, their statistics tell them that it does. So, right, so now you're getting the picture. The, people thought these guys are crazy. They told them that they were going to ruin a franchise, that they would lose and lose badly. Even the manager of their own team would not play their players. Well, as you know, if any sport makes a good movie, it's baseball. And so a couple years ago, they came out with a movie called Moneyball. Brad Pitt played Billy Bean. Jonah Hill played the nerd from Yale. And there's a scene in that movie where Brad Pitt, who's bought into what this Yale kid is selling, and he's frustrated. They're not playing the players they want. They can't try this plan out. And he gets on the phone, and he's about to start trading the best players they have, what most people consider the best players they have. And he is on the phone about to make a trade, and the Yale kid says, Stop. He was scared. Don't do it. And Brad Pitt looks him in the eye. And this is a paraphrase. He looks him in the eye and says, do you believe in this or not? And he he was like, yes. So Brad Pitt, do the deal. Hangs up the phone. You see... He made the trade. They went from worst to first. And literally, soon right after that, people started adopting what they do. You know, the Boston Red Sox finally won a World Series after like 80 years because they adopted Moneyball. So thank you, Billy Bean, if you're a Red Sox fan. The point of this story is that it's one thing to know and have a theory on paper and believe that it could work. And it's a whole nother thing to actually live it out to actually put everything out there, and especially in the face of adversity, and especially in the face of detractors or opposition. You know, the reason I use that story is because similarly, Abraham had to trust, had trust in God's promises, that he really would keep those promises, but he also had to trust in God's plan for his life. He actually had to follow the steps God lays out for him. That's very different than believing something is true and, putting, and, and diving into it. But it's a whole other thing when you're years into it and it seems like we're making another wrong turn here, God. What are, what are we doing? This is not easy if you're him. You're a nomad. You have no son. You have no idea where you're going to end up living. Years are passing by. You're getting old. So what did Abraham do? Let's look at starting reading in verse 19 again here. Listen to what Abraham did. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he, had about a, he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Just listen to some of these phrases. He did not weaken in faith. 
No distrust made him waver. It even says at the end of verse 20 that he grew in his faith. That's crazy talk uh, to humanly speaking to think all this was going on. Abraham's faith was in the promise of God. But not only that, it was also in the means of God. He has this promise, but the thing that Abraham is now called to do, the second thing that we're talking about here, is that he has to throw himself into the means of God achieving that. He, I, you could say it this way. He trusted that God would deliver on his promise by God's appointed means. The appointed means by which God would fulfill his promise is the plan of God. And it's important to note here like that, like that Billy Bean story, this is not theory. Life truly was hard for Abraham. It was really difficult. His circumstances were difficult. When Abraham didn't know where he was going, he lived by faith. When Abraham didn't know how in the world he could have a son, he lived by faith. And when the discouragement of year after year after year after year of not having a son sets in, he still chose to live by faith. Taking it into his own hands wouldn't and couldn't accomplish what he desired. In fact, his wife had talked him into that at one point, if you know the story, and it didn't work. And Abraham, again, affirmed in what he really, truly believed. Now, believe me, Abraham could have tried other plans for his life. Uh, like a lot of things, a lot of people, when life gets hard, like, if it gets hard, what do you do? You quit, right? You, you cut bait and run. You find an alternate plan. This is a real battle, because some of us have lives that there's some really big frustrations in. And there's some really difficult things. Some of us experience suffering often. And we want to abandon this. This is a real battle. And oftentimes we like our will for our life a lot. I know I do. Uh, we like easy. We like comfortable. We like safe. The problem is that God's plans are typically more risky, more difficult, and more dangerous. More trying. Uh, recently, uh, we had someone here speaking, and he, he had a line that I, I said, I, I'm going to rip that off someday, and today's the day, okay? Uh, he, uh, pastor in South Carolina, he had, he had used, I have a great and wonderful plan for my life, and God keeps interrupting it, right? And I think that it's when God keeps interrupting it, that's where we get to figure out if we're going to trust him and live by faith in his plan. Because we can run in the other direction. You ever see, meet Jonah in the Bible? Yeah. Um, no one, uh, we often like to plan our life, don't we? There's nothing particularly wrong with that. But none of us, I've never seen someone, like if I was like, mm, my plan for my life. Uh, I think on Tuesday I'll sprinkle in a little conflict over here so that I can really develop the wholesomeness of my tongue. Later this month I'll schedule a life-altering tragedy. And then I'm going to sign up for the persecution down the road every Friday. And then every day when I get home, when I'm super tired from work, I want all my kids, my wife, to just throw all kinds of demands on me so that I just feel crushed. That's what I want. 
sign me up. For That's not the plans anyone's writing out. But boy, oh boy, if God doesn't bring some of those things into our life. No, those are not our plans. We like fun. We like having security, easy living. We like retirement. Uh, but God's plans for our life are bigger and better than our plans. God has a different agenda in his plans, and that's why. You know what God's agenda and his plans are? They're crazy. It's called holiness. He wants to make you holy as he is holy. So his plans have that in mind. Our plans have us in mind. He knows a life dependent on him is bigger and better than our plans. So he orchestrates life to be that way. And this does it for me. I don't know. How do you summarize this? This does it for me. So please listen. He knows the best way to accomplish his promises to you. He knows the best way to accomplish his promises to you. So that's what he calls us to follow. That's his will. That's what he calls us into. And that's why we can trust our life with him. That's why we persevere and not despair. That's why we... We trust. We trust that his will will accomplish our best. He calls us to walk by faith down a road that he has laid out for us, which is an interesting analogy because we are walking down a path that he's laid out for us. But as Psalm 119.105 says, he says, your word, the psalmist says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If you know anything about a lamp or a light going down a path, have you ever been backpacking at nighttime or walking in the night and you just have a headlamp or a flashlight? You can only see one or two steps ahead. God's word is a lamp to the path of God's will, revealing maybe the next one or two steps. You ever ask why in the world God doesn't just reveal, turn the lights on, the whole path? I think because if we saw the whole path... <laughs> We would be running in the other direction. And he wants us to stay on that will because, again, holiness is in mind. Let me finish with this. Uh, I saw someone wrote this. Faith in God's will is complete reliance, not just on the promises of God, but also on the means of God. So as a believer, as last week you might have heard, our faith is in Jesus. What that looks like is putting our faith in the trustworthiness of God's word and the goodness of his will or plan for us. And so we trust in him and we follow him. And let me encourage you as we leave, our faith in God is a faith in a God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, always working on our behalf. Jesus right now sits at the right hand of God interceding on our behalf. The Spirit lives in us. What more advantages could we possibly ask for? Jeremiah 32, 33, uh, chapter 32 and chapter 33 talk about God's covenant promises again. And it says, he will never stop doing good to you. That is good stuff. Like That's the stuff that I read at night and go to sleep with. And so when life is hard, we trust in the promises of God and exercise faith. And we put faith in his word, in his ways, 
because nothing else is really more trustworthy. Nothing else will get us where we want to be. So this means walking by faith. Uh, when, I, when I get out of here today, all of us, walking by faith requires ordering our life around the promises of God and his will, then, doesn't it? Um, Luke has a really good way of saying this in the New Testament. He says, and Jesus is really, Luke records that Jesus says it. If anyone's going to be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That is all about trusting in Jesus' words and his will for your life. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your goodness to us. Uh, Thank you that you gave us the gift of faith if we are believers in Christ. Lord, uh, I do pray that we all would love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that our neighbor is ourself. Pray that we would trust when life is hard, the promises that come from your mouth, and that when the way is difficult, we would be able to see that this is your way, and that holiness is the agenda. Pray that we would trust in your character and your, your love towards us. We pray all those in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.